Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We continue in our study here in verse 1. Paul says, finally then, brethren, uh, or could be better translated in the Greek as furthermore, furthermore, uh, furthermore, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. I love this so much because the exhortation and the urging to abound, which is to superabound, is how it translates in the Greek, superabound, to excel and increase. And Paul is speaking about, you know, hey, let's, let's, let's move on to perfection. Let's lay aside those things which so easily ensnare us and let us move on to perfection. Let us run our race and move on to perfection. And it's so beautiful to see this exhortation. Remember, they're a young church. Young believers, not young in terms of age. I mean, I'm sure there's some young people there, but I'm talking about young in the faith. Not, you know, they're not like 10 years as Christians or 20 years as Christians, very brand new believers. But at the same time, the thumb of Rome isn't, it's heavy, but not that, I mean, it's not that heavy compared to other regions. What the problem is, is the thumb of the religious leaders. Very, very heavy persecution. Remember the home invasion? When you do the overlay with the book of Acts and you see like, wow, you know, Jason had a home invasion. Now listen to our study. If you're listening for the first time, welcome. You know, but, you know, at the same time, listen to our study from uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. But then, you know, even even further, go back to our study through Romans and the Corinthian letters because it will help you grow and mature in Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. Beautiful, beautiful brother Paul is saying, hey, come on, let's move on to perfection. Let's grow. You know, we urge and exhort in verse one in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, super abound more and more, just as you received from us. I love this because remember, it's a very, very special bubble that, you know, Paul and his entourage, you know, and I have to stress this because, you know, sometimes, you know, I have, you know, side communications with people and they're like, wow, you, what do you, what do you mean entourage? Well, it's not like Hollywood, you know, see celebrities and they got all the, you know, the, their, their entourage and people usually have like, you know, one main celebrity or maybe two main celebrities. And then you look behind them and they got like all these, you know, their people. It's not like that. It's not like Hollywood. It's holy, holy. Paul, when I say his bubble, you know, it's not like he has an entourage of people, you know, his entourage following him. No, it's it's a very special bubble that Paul pours into people, saints, but inside of his, we'll say, smaller bubble. Uh, there's a larger bubble, which is, you know, the saints, the body of Christ. But then the smaller bubble is the next generation of leadership, ministry leaders, bishops, deacons. Uh, uh, pastors, elders, all these beautiful people that have, you know, leadership roles in ministry. And you see an even smaller bubble when it comes to uh, pastors, the next generation of pastoral leadership. And so you see when he says, just as you received from us, if you recall, if you've been walking with us for a while and you recall our studies in the book of Acts, how many times do we say, Paul's not like the average bear? And what's so powerful 
understanding that he's not like the average bear. Now, if you're listening, you know, go back to our study through the book of Acts and you'll understand more if you, if you haven't heard that before, uh, nor if you understand that, you know, go back to the book of Acts and do our, listen to our studies, have your Bible open, but then at the same time, you'll understand deeper, 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 and you'll, you'll, you'll gain this understanding. But at the same time, we see, you know, Paul's not like the average bear. But within this special bubble, you see, wow, you know, the, the, the people in this bubble, they're not like the average cubs either. Because we're going to see, we're, we're going to enter into the pastoral epistles pretty soon. And you're going to see how pastor speaks to pastor. Old man, pastor speaks to young man, pastor. Old man, Paul speaks to young man, Timothy. And, and, and Titus too. And you're going to see these things, you know, but it's a very, very special bubble. And Paul says that you have us as patterns. Very important to understand. It's not like to get on a high horse and be like, Oh, look, I am awesome. And you have to model yourselves after me. No, remember, Paul is the one that says, you know, we're like trash. We're the scum of the world. We're the scum of the world. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians, you know, in chapter 3, we make these distinctions between worker and field. The saints, the, the body of Christ, you know, field and building, the saints are the field and the building, God's workmanship. But at the same time, the workers, that's like Paul and Timothy, and they're the ones that, you know, in this, you know, Paul refers to as, when you look at Greek wording, Paul refers to as co-workers of the Lord, co-workers of the Lord in God's building to, 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 to build up and to build up the saints. So powerful and so beautiful how the Lord has established these things. He says in verse one, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Now, we have to understand formula. Formula, formula. The formula must be right. The recipe must be right. There was one time I ordered some dessert. You know, I had a nice meal. And I, I got a little sweet tooth sometimes. You know, having a nice meal. Got my food in my belly. And then all of a sudden, the little, the little sweet urging, it, it kicks in. It's like, wow, I need something sweet. I said, you know. Uh, can I have a, 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 a blueberry pie? And, you know, they brought it out and it was warm and it was awesome to look at. To, to You see it and it's like, oh, this is awesome. I took my first bite and it was nasty. It was disgusting. And so, like, you know, the guy comes, I go, you know, what's the matter? And I say, you know, this, it, like, it looks like, it looks like, you know, the blueberries, blueberry pie, but this ain't blueberry pie. I mean, it's... And then they took it back to the kitchen or whatever and, you know, come to find out that they made a mistake in making it. They confused the sugar with the salt. And so, like, I ate, like, a big salt ball. And it was like, whoa, you know. And, and it's so, I always reflect on that because it's like, wow, you know, there was just, they got the dough right. They got the berries right. They got, you know, whatever they do to make it. But they put in, you know, one little wrong ingredient. But it, it little wrong ingredient, but it turned out to be a, a big, big ingredient. And so, you know, we have to understand formula. We have to understand recipe because it's very important. You know, it, because, you know, how the Bible says in Hebrews 13 <clears throat> to it's, it's beautiful for saints to listen to your pastor. 
But if the formula is wrong in the pastor, if the pastor's teaching false doctrine, if the pastor's a sex head, if the pastor's, you know, on drugs and alcohol and doing the Ouija boards and, you know, their little white lies and, oh, come on, son, you know, I know you're, you know, 16, you got a full beard, you look like you're 30, and, you know, let's lie and say you're nine years old so we can get cheap Disneyland tickets or free tickets, you know. The formula's got to be right. And so it's beautiful for, 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 for saints to listen to pastors, but it's also very dangerous too, because if the formula is wrong in the pastor and a saint follows, you know, a pastor who, where the formula is wrong, it's very dangerous, very dangerous in this life. And more importantly, the life to come. And so that's why we make these distinctions with Paul saying, you know, he's not like the average bear. It's not to exalt Paul. It's to say, Paul's not like the average bear. You see, and Paul says, you have us as examples. Paul, Titus, Timothy, Silas, Priscilla, Achilla, Lydia, Chloe, Phoebe, all these beautiful people, male, female, young, old, that in this in this very special bubble of Paul is to say like you know the, these are people who are patterns for the body of Christ to you know to 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 emulate that's what the bible says to for emulation a pattern for emulation and it's so beautiful it's not just, you know, you can't just like, you know, turn on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly. You can't turn on TBN and, you know, and, and you know, a see, a see a guy in uh, Texas, a meg, mega church in Texas and say, oh, I'm going to, you know, I, this guy is a pastor. And so I'm going to do exactly what he says. No, you have to look at the doctrine. You have to look at the fruit. Uh, he's on marriage number three and his previous wives aren't dead. I turn on, you know. TBN tricking believers nightly, and it's like, okay, I'm gonna listen to what this guy says in in Reading, and I'm gonna go grave soaking and do all these things. No, 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 no. It's very dangerous. The Bible says, listen to your pastor. But at the same time, it's like, okay, is this a biblical pastor? Is this a biblical pastor? And so we make these distinctions. And Paul says, just as you received from us, how you ought to walk and to please God. If you've been walking with us for a while and you remember in our Old Testament studies, and if you're listening for the first time, we study the Old Testament on Wednesdays. But there was a challenge when we came to Leviticus. And the challenge was, you know, let us all, we're all in the same boat. Let us all start thinking of our lives and considering our lives as aroma. Everything we do, everything we say, our behaviors to start thinking of our lives as aroma. And what aroma do you, do me, do we, what aroma do we want to present to the Lord? Do we want to be a beautiful, beautiful, sweet aroma or do we want to be nasty skunk? Balls in your court. Balls in our court. You see, we choose. And I love this so much because Paul is saying, look, we showed you, I taught you how you ought to walk and to please God. In verse 2, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Remember, it's not just Paul who's just saying, okay, I, I, I think I'm going to, uh, I, I, I think I'm just going to be a, a pastor. 
pastor. I want to do good for my community, and I'm going to tell these people what to do. No, you know, Paul, his own intimacy with the Lord. Remember, when we you look at our, our study through Galatians, and you read Galatians, is you know, Paul didn't immediately confer with the flesh. He went to the source. He goes to the Lord, his own intimacy with the Lord, and he walked with the Lord. You know, he be, he grew himself in his own maturity in Christ. Remember, he's a Pharisee, formerly a Pharisee of Pharisees, a student of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a teacher of Levites, Kohanim. He was a teacher of the law, hardcore, and Paul was one of his students of the tribe of Benjamin. And Paul says, you know, that, you know, a Pharisee of Pharisees? Of the stock of Israel, the stock of Benjamin? And yet at the same time to understand that it's the Lord who called them in this ministry. And Paul is saying in verse 2, we gave you these commandments. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember the formula, the model is in then through. The Lord does in the work inside of a person and then through. It's not through and then in. You know, it's in then through. A lot of times we're like, oh, okay, I'm a brand new Christian. I'm a brand new Christian. So therefore, I'm going to be a pastor now. No, I'm a brand new Christian. So therefore, I'm going to be an elder now. No, 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 no. It's not to say you can't be a pastor. Not to say you can't be an elder. It's not to say you can't be an evangelist. It's not to say you can't be in however the Lord calls you in ministry. It's to say, wait. Hold on, let us grow, let us mature. Because once you enter that battlefield, once you enter that battlefield in terms of a worker capacity, now every Christian is in the battlefield, but I'm talking about once you enter the battlefield, you know, as a building capacity, as a field capacity, that's one thing. But as worker capacity, that's another thing altogether. And that's no joke. That's very serious business, very dangerous, dangerous ground. And in order to survive on dangerous ground, you know what needs to happen? You, my beautiful friend, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister, you need to be dangerous. You need to be dangerous. And I speak metaphysically, supernaturally, spiritually. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal in nature. They're spiritual. And so the, the formula, the model is in, then through. It happened with Paul. It happened with Peter. It happened with the disciples. It happened with Moses. It happens with everybody. It's not like, you know, through immediately. It's always in, then through. Because a person needs to have very, very close intimacy with the Lord. And honoring Him and pleasing Him. Lives that are sweet aromas unto Him. And then all of a sudden you see, okay, now this person is equipped. Now this person is ready. Now this person knows how to fight. Now, and I speak supernaturally. I don't say, you know, how to know how to fight. You know, somebody comes against you and you break their arm. Somebody comes against you and they're, you, you know, you snap their neck. I'm not talking about that. But supernaturally, you know, it does happen. Somebody comes to you with all kinds of crazy doctrines. They got New York Times bestseller and you say, no, that's not in the Bible. That is not in the Bible. They cite this, they cite that. And, you know, you say, you know, it is also written. And you're fighting, you're engaging. That's why when we see these passages in Scripture, you know, Paul says to Timothy, you know, don't use a novice. 
This, you know, the people who serve in, in ministry capacity, not to use a novice. Overseers. And so we see, you know, the commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. He says, for this is the will of God. And it's so beautiful, you know, the little, you know, th this is the will of God, he says in verse 3. But at the same time, we have to understand, you know, some people today, some people today, what they do is they say, assign God with two wills. They have assigned God with two wills, in some cases, three wills. And when you look at their theory, we'll say doctrine, which is, you know, it, you know, doctrine, it might be a theory. How will you know if a doctrine is a theory? Well, you have to know sound doctrine. And so some people assign God with two wills. Oh, there's his permissive will and there's his perfect will. Or some people assign God with three wills. There, there's his decretive will. There's his uh, uh, preceptive will. And then there's his permissive will. But when you look at their doctrine or theory, we'll say, they must assign multiple wills to God in order to support and buttress a theory. But is the theory in itself accurate? Well, you have to be a Berean in order to know, in order to understand. And so they come up with these theories. Well, there's God's permissive will and then there's his perfect will. And so, in order to buttress a theory of the once saved, always saved, they say, well, a believer can never fall away. A believer can never fall away. They are predestined to heaven. So we have come up with his God's permissive will. You see? Rather than understanding that once saved, always saved is unbiblical. Once saved, always saved is unbiblical. The biblical formula is once saved, stay saved. But when people hold on to these notions, well, you know, okay, so once saved, always saved is true. So therefore, there must be multiple wills of God. There must be his permissive will because a guy and a gal can do this and that and this and that and this and that. And they're never going to lose their salvation. So... Maybe there's his permissive will. You know what? We're going to say that there's his permissive will. It's not his perfect will, but there's his permissive will. You see how when the doctrine isn't sound, there's supporting theories, which are still theories, but they serve to support a larger theory. But if the whole thing doesn't align with scripture, then you got to throw it all out. The entire theory. Because it must match scripture and the only way you'll know my beautiful friend the only way you'll know is if you're a berean you see you have to be a berean we have to be bereans with a noble heart because remember you know the bereans search the scripture search the scriptures which is beautiful but jesus says to the pharisees you search the scriptures for in them you think there is eternal life now, there is absolutely eternal life, but what's the difference? The heart of the Pharisee and the heart of the Berean, night and day, night and day. That's the difference. Searching the scriptures with a rock heart, not good. 
searching the scriptures with a soft heart, beautiful, and a noble heart. You see? And so they have these theories. There's God's permissive will and there's his perfect will. And in order to support the theory of one saved, always saved, he said, oh, God is sovereign. So it is impossible. It is absolutely impossible for a mortal human, a finite sin disease mind to comprehend the sovereign God. And it's almost said in a uh, flagellative manner. I'm not mocking God's sovereignty. God is absolutely sovereign. But beautiful, beautiful Amos speaks of the sovereign Lord. And in Amos chapter 3, verse 7, he says of the sovereign Lord that God does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his servants. That's powerful. Don't forget, Jesus revealed himself and God's will to his disciples who became apostles. Old Testament, New Testament. God's will is for people to be right with him. So many times, you know, Christians, they ask me these questions. What is the will of God? How do I know the will of God? How do I know the will of God? Well, the will of God, number one, is for you to be right with him. Male, female, young, old, I don't care. That is the will of God for you to be right with him. Old Testament, New Testament, he never changes. He desires people to be right with him. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Because he's a God of love. Remember, he sent his son into the world not to condemn the world but that the world through him, through Jesus, might be saved. Now, it's true. Outside of Christ, there will be condemnation. There will be condemnation. But that's not why God said, you know, the Bible says God sent his son into the world not to condemn, not to condemn the world, even though that Jesus will condemn, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. You see, it's a straight-up rescue mission because God loves you. Now, if you're listening and you're not a believer and you desire right here, right now to commit your life to Jesus Christ, you hit the pause button and you listen to the message how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now. I've had these conversations with non-believers and, you know, I I, I, I feel like this conviction. I feel, I feel like, you know, uh, you know, I don't know what this is, you know, but I, I feel like this something in my heart and... I don't know what it is. and That's the Lord. The spirit of the Lord that goes into the world to convict the sin of righteousness, of judgment, and of, 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 of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, you know, to, to, to speak with non-believers who, I don't know what this is. I feel this in my heart. Don't deny that. Don't deny that because... If you deny, what happens is that your heart gets harder. And you see that. You see like a five-year-old child who's very receptive to holy matters. At age 10, still receptive, 
but it's less. At age 15, still receptive, but less. 20, even less. 25, less. 30, less. And the heart is getting harder and harder and harder and harder. Why? Exposure to the world. I mean, what do you expect? It's kind of like, you know, it's not. A, it shouldn't be a surprise. What do we expect? And that might, that might be you, my friend. Never believed in Jesus. You're 30 years old, 40 years old, 60. You know, I don't, age is irrelevant. And you feel this. It's like, wow, I don't, I don't know what it is. It's just something I feel in my heart. Well, don't deny those things. I shouldn't say don't deny those things. I mean, I mean, don't deny those feelings. But it's the Holy Spirit. Remember, eternity was written on our, on, on our hearts. A measure of faith is given to every man, every woman. You see? And sometimes fires go out. And that's what I desire to do inside of your heart is, hey, let's light this puppy. Let's get your heart on fire. But God doesn't make robots. God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through Jesus might be saved. You have to choose. Sometimes people get mad at me. Oh, you know, don't talk about hell and damnation and all these things. Just tell them, you know, God is love and they can respond to that. It's true. Some people respond to love. When Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, the woman, the female, the woman at the well. He says, he says certain things. There's one approach. But then to other people, he just straight up says, you know, hellfire damnation. And so we understand, you know, this is the will of God. In verse 3, for this is the will of God. Old Testament, New Testament, for people to be right with him. In verse 3, he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, your consecration is how it translates. Your purification is how, the, is how it translates. How does this happen? How does consecration, sanctification, purification, how does it happen? Well, choice is an element. I mean, you know, if, if a person is, you know, goes out and, you know, uh, works in the field and, you know, it gets dirty and grimy, you know, and all, you know, just sweaty and nasty and just, you know, really stinky, you know, they're working out in the field and they, you know, he, he, has, he hasn't showered in a while, you know, and he gets at the end of the day, he's really dirty. Well, understand, you know, the, at the end of the day, it's like, okay, I need a shower. I need a shower. I need to get cleaned up which is a choice. But the person's not the soap, nor is the person the water. You see, Jesus absolutely cleanses, but a soul must realize their need of him. We're not the soap, we're not the water. But every person must come to the realization of, oh my goodness, I'm dirty. I am dirty. I am filthy. What do I do? Men and brethren, what do I do? 
hearkening our studies from Acts 2. And Brother Peter says, repent. Repent. Repent, believe in Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit, and you shall be saved. That's the model. That's the formula. And so the Lord desires sanctification. And yes, you know, there's, you know, just like the shower concept. There's, you know, we're not the soap. We're not the water. We're not the shampoo. Or, you know, we're not any of that. But a person must realize like, oh my goodness, I, you know, I need to be cleansed. Sanctification included in the process of sanctification is, you know, there's water, blood, and I speak supernaturally when I say this. Sometimes, you know, non-believers are like, wow, you Christians, what do you mean washed by the blood of Jesus? What, washed by the blood? I don't get it. Supernaturally speaking, understand that life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. The wages of sin is death. And when a person comes to Christ, there's a transfer of debt. The wage of my sin, your sin, it's transfer. Life for life. And through the blood of Christ, we are washed white as snow. That's what we mean when we say washed by the blood. Sanctification. But just like that shower concept. We're not the soap, we're not the water, we're not the shampoo. But a person must realize like, oh my goodness, I need a shower. And when that happened for me 25 years ago. When that happened for me, I felt so filthy. The realization of, oh my goodness, I'm filthy. That realization, I felt like I could take a million showers and I would still be filthy because I was dirty within. You see? Sometimes people are like, oh, I don't like to read the Bible because I feel like dirt. Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Because that's the Lord confronting the flesh. That's the Lord confronting the natural man, the natural woman. You know, you read the Bible, you feel like dirt. It's like, oh my goodness, how do I be cleansed? Men and brethren, what do I do? Well, you need a shower. Let's get you cleaned up. You see? Let's get you cleaned up. There's an element of choice involved in sanctification. We're not the soap, we're not the water, but there's still a choice. I need to be clean. Old Testament, somebody who is in leprosy. Uncleanness. Somebody who's in sin. There's a process for being cleansed again. The priests have a responsibility. Sacrifice, blood. Life for life. Atonement. And that's Old Testament, Old Covenant. Which was added to the promise because of sin. Because of trespass. Until the seed and now that the seed is here, it's still the same in terms of blood, except it's the blood of the Lamb, capital L, the Lamb of God. But even still, 
Just like the Old Testament. Oh my goodness, I've sinned the priest. What do I do? The priest says, okay, bring your animal, make your sacrifices to the Lord, and you know, we'll get you cleaned up. Come on, we'll get you nice and cleaned up. Same thing today. Not in accordance to that covenant, but in accordance to the new covenant. Oh my goodness, I'm dirty. What do I do? Repent. Repent. Believe in Jesus. You see? Be baptized. Repent the remission of sins. It's so beautiful. And if that is you, my beautiful friend, hit pause. Listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. Sanctification. That is the will of God. You see? In verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain or keep away from sexual immorality, where we get the word porneia. That's how it translates from, from, from in the Greek, porneia. That ring a bell? It's where we get the word pornography. Porneia. The church is in trouble. The church is straight up in trouble. Because today, you can look at the world, you can look at the church, and you see no difference. You look at, you know, you have co-workers who are non-believers and you have people, friends in church, brothers and sisters in church. It's like, wow, there's no difference. I go to work and guys talk like, you know, the locker room jargon and you go to church. It's like, wow, these guys speak the same way. You go to work and the ladies speak in locker room jargon and it's like you go to work and the ladies speak the, exactly the same way. You see? And this is where doctrine Sound doctrine is of utmost importance because in accordance to a false theory, oh, I'm predestined for heaven and once saved, always saved is true. So I'm predestined for heaven. So, you know, the pornography, the strippers, the prostitutes, it's not God's perfect will, but it's his permissive will. You see how? False doctrine begets more false doctrine, begets more false doctrine, begets very dangerous ground. But then in that situation, under that false theory, a person falls so far and then people say, well, he was never saved. Well, she was never saved. Because they still hold on to that theory, once saved, always saved. And then a person, you know, gets addicted to pornography. And then a person, you know, I, I was, I remember this, this, uh, uh, this, uh, uh, like a, uh, I don't want to, it was like a, like a documentary, but it was audio and it was like, it, like a, it was an interview of a, a guy who, who already died in death row. And he was, he killed women, murdered women, multiple women, serial killer. And he says that, it all started when he was a, like young, like a teenager, but it started with pornography, the objectification of women, the objectification of women. Okay, like this lady, you know, she is for my pleasure. This other lady, she is for my pleasure. And it started with pornography. And then all of a sudden he became an adult. He got like crazier and crazier and crazier and crazy. Finally, you know, he would say, okay, this lady is for my pleasure. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to kill her because that's all she is. She's there for my pleasure. The objectification. And that's what you see in the church. In, not, not, not serial killers. Well, sometimes. But, you know, what you see sometimes is, you know, people, they get addicted to pornography. 
They do the strippers, the prostitutes, all kinds of, you know, and it all starts the very beginning. It all starts, you know, like eight year old kid with this phone, you know, a 12 year old kid with this phone, you know, the 20 year old kid with this phone. And then all of a sudden it gets worse and worse and worse. And then finally, you know, he's with the strippers, the prostitutes, all kinds of stuff. And what do Christians say? Well, he was never saved. Because once saved, I will say this true. Well, he was never saved. He's so far gone, you know, he, he was never saved. Instead of saying that that theory is wrong, which it is, they get further into the grips and the danger of the false theory, the false notion. To understand that, wow, this guy who's now, you know, 30 years old and, you know, no longer walking with Christ and, you know, he's doing the, 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 the prostitutes and hangs out the strippers and the drugs and the alcohol. Well, he was never saved. No, it's to say, you know, when he was 15 years old, he was a Christian. He was saved. And just as the word says, he was a short-term believer. You see, he believed for a while, Luke 8. He believed for a while. What happened is that he walked away. Oh, but Jesus will never lose a person. Okay, that's absolutely true. But Jesus didn't lose him. The guy walked away. Remember the example we gave with baby girl? You leave baby girl at the house. You say, baby girl, I'll be back. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. You come back, baby girl's gone. You didn't lose her. She walked away. You see, people say this all the time. Oh, God, you know, God will never lose. You know, Jesus will never lose. You know, he won't lose. He won't lose any of us, any of them. Well, that's true. But it is also written, paraphrasing, don't walk away. Apostasy is prophesied, the falling away. It is prophesied, apostasia. It is prophesied. So under a false theory, people say, well, once saved, always saved. So I can go ahead and do the sex, the drugs, the alcohol. But, you know, I'm predestined for heaven and once saved, always saved. So there's God's permissive will. And then there's his perfect will. You see how they, they formulate other theories to buttress another theory, which buttresses another theory. But the whole thing is, the whole thing is wrong. And then the person gets so caught up in sin and, you know, sexual sin, drug sin, alcohol sin, whatever sin it is, the carnal nature walking according to the flesh. And then rather than let go of a theory, they say, well, that person was never saved. You see, both cases are biblically wrong. They willfully forget what is written in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Brother Paul says, do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners will not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, but that... Let's not, it's just Paul. Let's not, let's just ignore what he says and formulate these theories that there's God's permissive will and then there's his perfect will. And sometimes they come up with three ideas on the 
wills of God. There's his decretive will. There's his preceptive will. And there's his permissive will. No, the whole thing is wrong. The whole theory is wrong. And when I say theory, specifically to this matter, oh, God is sovereign. It is impossible for this sin-diseased minds to even comprehend he's so sovereign and we don't even know what he's doing. Amos chapter 3 verse 7 that the sovereign Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his servants. It is written. The theory of Calvinism, the theory of reformed what they call theology it has been placed in the balance and found wanting it is unbiblical it does not line up with the truth of holy scripture now if you're calvinist and reformed i love you listen to our study through romans 7 8 9 10 and 11 you'll understand more and another study listen is called uh, do not take the mark of the beast because you have reformed theory people Pastors, who so-called pastors, I'm doing my air quotes, they're starting to teach, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. Because, you know, once saved, always saved is true. So go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. It's a lie from the pit of hell. A trap for the last days. You see? And Paul, in explaining this the, the will of God, your sanctification in verse 3, that you should abstain, you should keep away from sexual immorality. That each of you should know. I love this so much because, you know, that each of you should know. The formula of the pastor, the formula of the teacher must be right. Why? To teach. So saints can know. Look at, I mean, how many times did you hear us say, you know, Philippi ain't, uh, Philippi ain't Corinth. Ephesus ain't Corinth. We make these distinctions. Grade levels, we look at these grade levels, you know, like, you know, preschool and first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade. Where were the pastors in Corinth? The defunct we were the ones who were wise and taught. I meant for the carnal, for the flesh in Corinth to be as evident as that fruit, bad fruit, in Corinth. Why was it not corrected? Three years arrested development. Three years no growth. For three years, babies who stayed babies. For three years in, in, in the case of Corinth. And, you know, you remember, you know, if you've been walking with us for a while, I say I have a, a love-hate relationship with with Corinthians. And it's true. It's not that I hate them, but it's I have a love-hate with what was happening. It's like, wow, why is this happening? When, how painful it is to read 1 Corinthians. It's like, wow, why is this happening? Is this so painful? It kills me. It breaks my heart. But at the same time, I'm thankful. Because we see how the Lord fixes things, how he addresses things through separation, focusing on a remnant. You see? 
When we speak about the formula being right in the pastor, the formula being right in the in the teacher, it's not so, you know, oh, look, this guy is holy. Look, 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 look. It's not, it's not for exaltation of the pastor. Remember, the pastors, the, the workers are the scum of the world. Scum of the world. If you're a pastor and you're into that self-exaltation, you need to step down. You need to repent and you need to step down from that high horse, so to speak, because it is unbiblical humility. Pastors, the workers, scum of the world. Listen to our study through First, uh, first Corinthians chapter 3. You'll understand more. The formula being right in the pastor is so that he, 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 not she, the biblical formula for pastors, elders, not female. Covering Old Testament, New Testament, always male. Always male. And the formula of the pastor must be right. So that he can teach. Doctrine must be right. Behavior must be right. Home must be right. So that he can teach. So saints can know. That's why in verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel. Translates in the Greek that each of you should know how to own his vessel. I love that so much. Behavior becoming of a Christian and behavior unbecoming of a Christian. The defunct pastors, the defunct elders in Corinth, they didn't do this. They did not teach. That's what I love so much about Thessalonians because you have a similar time frame. You know, you have three years in Corinth and you have three to four years in Thessalonica. And I love that so much because you see how, you know, what, what the defunct, what they caused, you know, because the saints, you know, Chloe in her home, they knew. But why were the, the pastors and elders, they didn't teach? And if they did teach, did they not, you know, did they not, you know, uh, 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 do their, uh, perform their, their responsibilities in the, in the church for the sake of the Lord and in the name of the Lord? Did they not perform their responsibilities? It's obvious that they did not because as evidenced in the fruit. But then we have this beautiful, what we like to refer to as the beautiful, the great do-over. Because you have another set of three years, in this case of Thessalonica. And Paul is reminding the saints, each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, how to own his vessel in sanctification. Remember, consecration and purity in sanctification and honor, which is dignity and value. We live in a generation today that has no idea what honor is. Dignity and honor and value. But for the saint, it's a little bit deeper. For Christians, it's a little bit deeper in a lot of ways, a lot of bit deeper. Because we are not our own. We were bought at a price. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. And that price is the blood of Jesus. You see? Each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. I love this. 
sometimes it, it, it breaks my heart. You know, the, the love-hate relationship I have with Corinthians, you know, I love it and I hate it because I don't like the, the flesh that we see in Corinth. But sometimes what breaks my heart is when I speak to Christians today and when, you know, they come at me, you know, I need help, you know, okay, you know, what, what's the problem? And then they start to lay out all these things, X, Y, Z, one, two, three. Then we have this beautiful, lovely conversation. And then the question is posed, were you not told these things? And when the person says, I never knew. I'm sad for that person. But when I face the pulpit and when I look at the pulpit, I get angry. I get mad. Because that pastor should have taught them. That pastor should have taught this guy. That pastor should have taught this gal. So that this gal, this guy, this kid, this old lady, this old guy, whoever it is, male, female, I don't care. So that they can know how to possess his own vessel, how to possess her own vessel, so so that they can know that to be in sanctification and honor, consecration, purity, dignity, and value, understanding that we were bought at a price, which is the blood of Jesus. But when saints tell me, wow, I never knew that. You know, there's the responsibility of that person. And it's like, okay, let's get you cleaned up. But when I look at the pulpit, who's your pastor? Point him out to me. Analyze his doctrine. Go back to the person. Listen, that pastor is very dangerous. Not the good dangerous, the bad dangerous. If you heed what he teaches, you are in harm's way. You see, Brother James says, let not many be teachers. It's not like, well, you know, you know, I'm a loser. I can't get a good job. So I think I'll be a pastor. No, no, no. You, that's the mindset of pastors today. Well, you know, I'm a loser. You know, I get fired from all these jobs and, you know, I'm the biggest dork. I'm such a loser. I can't get a, I can't hold a job here. My boss hates me. I can't hold a job here, you know, yeah, all these things. So I think I'll be a pastor. I want to do good for my community. I think I'll be a pastor. No, it doesn't work that way. Unless the Lord builds the house. Unless the Lord builds the house. He must build the house. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain, those who build. The Lord must call a person. And he does call. You see? And that's what's so beautiful because the saints in Corinth, when you see the works of the flesh, I mean, when you listen to our study and you read 1 Corinthians, it's Painful. Painful. Second Corinthians, a little bit better. I mean, you know, a lot of bit better. And there's, you know, there's some little painful points to it. When Paul says, you know, you know, I, I fear for you because you might put up with these false teachers. You might put up with the pseudodelphos. You might put up with these servants of Satan who come with another Jesus, another spirit, and a different gospel. He says, I fear for you because you might put up with it. You know, there's these painful parts of 2 Corinthians. But in 1 Corinthians, it's 
Oh, that's very painful. Because you see, for three years, how is this how is this happening in the fellowship? How is this happening in the church? These works of the flesh, the sex, the alcohol, the extortion, the reviling. How is this happening in the fellowship? To look at the saints, okay, let's get you cleaned up. This is leaven, okay, separate from the leaven, let's get you cleaned up. But I wonder what Paul felt when he faced the pulpit. Who in the world are these pastors? Paul says you have 10,000 teachers, but one father. And he's speaking of himself as a spiritual father. Like they're his own children, like they passed through his birth canal. He doesn't have a birth canal, he's male. But yet that's how much he loves the saints. Don't forget saints that, you know, in his BC days before he came to Christ, that he wanted dead, that he wanted to kill. You see, different. the Lord changed him. And so Paul's not speaking from a position, well, you know, I, I, I read this book and I, I, I think you guys ought to live like this and I want to be cool and I think you guys ought to live like this. No, he says these things from experience. He himself has been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he teaches others. He pours into others. He's not a hypocrite. So we look at verse 5. You know, saints, that they should know how to possess his own vessel or own his vessel. I'll add own her vessel as well. In verse 5, not in passion of lust. A lot of ministry leaders today, oh, men will be men. Oh, men will be men. Little little sex over here. Little pornography over here. Little strippers over here. Prostitutes over here. Men will be men. The church is in trouble. You look at the world. You look at the church. There's no difference today. Not in every church, but in many. There's no difference. But understand that the ecclesia... Church, Ecclesia, translates as a body of people who are set apart, a body of people who are consecrated. Now, in order for a body of people to be consecrated and sanctified and purified, which there is the element of choice there. Remember the shower, we're not the soap, we're not, you know, the water, but a person realizes like, oh my goodness, I stink, I need the shower. You see, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm, I'm dirty. I need the shower. Choice is involved. It's not, you know, God doesn't make robots. And so Paul is saying, you know, in knowing how to possess his own vessel or own his vessel in sanctification and honor in verse five, not in, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. That is, that is, you know, that's conduct of the non-believer. The passion of lust, that's what the non-believers do. You say, wait a second, that's in the church. Look, you know, this guy's doing this, this lady's doing this, and look, it's it's inside the church. I understand it is inside the church. But look at the pulpit. How will they know? How do saints know? Unless they're taught. 
You see, they must be taught. Because it's another, it's it's one thing if if the saints are involved in you know all kinds of you know works of the flesh, but they've never been told, they've never known. It's like the Ezekiel, where the Lord says, Ezekiel, you know, you tell these things to these people, and if you don't say these things to these people, like I tell you to say, if you don't do that, then their blood is on you. But Ezekiel, if you say these things, then their blood is on them. That's heavy. Pastors are held to a stricter judgment from the Lord. Stricter judgment. Pastors today, so-called, I'm doing my air quotes, they do their uh, business model. Oh, I want to have a church growth and I want a big church and I want, you know, a thousand people one year. The next year we're going to expand. I want 2,000 people. The next year we're going to expand. I want 5,000. Implementing a business model for church growth. Which is a piece of cake. That's easy. It's super easy to have a mega church. That is a piece of cake. You need some capital, but it's a piece of cake. To attract the masses, you appeal to the flesh. Pay a band, you know, get a band, you know, pay them, you know, 5,000 bucks, 10,000 bucks. Pay them, rent out a warehouse, have them come and put out the, you know, do your marketing and have people say, oh, yeah, we're going to have this band and come and worship the band and it's a big, big worship fest and we're going to worship and, you know, I, you know there's going to be a 30-minute message and a, 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 a call to Christ and then we're going to pass around the offering plate and, you know, come again next week and we're going to do this. Come again the following week. We're going to do it. Come again the following week and boom, 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 you add to the band. Piece of cake. Super easy. Except there's a problem. No Jesus. You see? No Jesus. Pastors are in big trouble. I mean, for the church to be in trouble, and we know the church today is in trouble, but pastors are in really big trouble. Remember, like the Lord says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, you say what I tell you to say, and the, the, you know their blood is on them. But you don't say what I tell you to say, and their blood is on you, Ezekiel. For Christians to be involved, for saints, beautiful, beautiful, the lamb, the sheep of God, to be in a state of carnality. It's one thing if they're babies, but, you know, two years later, three years later, to be in a state of carnality and for a person, a Christian to say, wow, you know what? I never knew that. Wow, my pastor never said that. Wow, I never, I've been going to this church for 20 years and the pastor never told us this. That pastor's in big trouble before the Lord. When he stands before the Lord, that pastor's in big trouble. Oh, my pastor's female. Oh, okay, she's in really big trouble. You see? And it's sad. It breaks my heart. Because saints need to know these things. And once a saint knows, okay? Balls in your court. And I speak to pastors. The saints need to know the word of the Lord. They need to be taught the word of the Lord. And once they know the word of the Lord, okay? Balls in their court. 
Now their blood is not on you, pastor. But if you want to have like, you know, a, a mega church, which is a piece of cake, super easy. You need capital, but it's super easy. And if that's your objective, then I say unto you, whoa, W-O-E exclamation point, woe is you. Because if you want to be people, their best friend and whisper sweet nothings into their ear. We're talking hellfire damnation territory for you, pastor. Stricter judgment. Brother James says, let not many be teachers. Let not many be teachers. The saints need to know the word of the Lord. And once you teach the word of the Lord, and I tell you the truth, you're not going to have the mega church. You're not going to have the mega church. You might have 20. You see? It's a remnant. The saints need to know. And I love this in verse 5. I mean, I love it, but it's sad. We see in verse 4, you know, that the, the saints should know how to possess his own vessel or own his vessel or her vessel. That no, or in, in verse 5, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, you see. What's the model? This person who's not a believer, is that the model for conduct? No. You see, in verse six, that no one should take advantage of, take advantage of, take advantage of, and defraud his brother in this matter. Some translations say any matter. I love this because remember our study, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study through the Old Testament, how we look at certain laws and certain statutes, and you can look at laws and statutes from the perspective of, well, you know, I'm going to do this like a, like a. The law of the statute says I got to do X, Y, Z. So I'm going to do X, Y, Z exactly how the law says. But it's a little different when the heart is involved. I mean, when the brain is involved, it's like, okay, I'm going to go through the motions. I'm going to do this, this X, Y, Z exactly like the law states. Well, that's dangerous because there's a disconnect from brain to ear. I speak supernaturally when I say this. But the connection is better made when it's heart to ear. You see? Ear to heart to brain. But the disconnect happens when it's brain to ear. Because when you add in the heart, all of a sudden something happens where you start to care for other people. You start to care for... Through the law, remember, the law is like, you know... A doorway, which, you know, you learn to, through the law, fear the Lord, which is the beginning, beginning, beginning of wisdom. I mean, in the law, when you see it's like stoning, that's scary. You learn the fear of the Lord, like, wow, that guy, you know, this guy did that and he got stoned and I'm thinking about do that. And, you know, if I do that, I'm going to get stoned and I don't want to get stoned. So I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I'm terrified and I don't want to get stoned. And so... It's the fear of the Lord, and a person learns the fear of the Lord. And then through that, 
Now a person can realize like, oh my goodness, you know, I'm, I'm fear, I fear the Lord. But at the same time, wow, I, I continue every day to do these things and I have the fear of the Lord. I continue to do this. I continue to not do this because I fear the Lord. But then you see people around you dropping like flies because, you know, they're succumbing to these sins, these trespasses. And it's like, wow, you know what? I'm not doing this stuff because I fear the Lord. And then you learn to trust the Lord. Like, wow, I, I trust the Lord now. It's different. Before I didn't do these things because I feared the Lord, but now I'm not doing these things because I'm, I've learned to trust in the Lord. And you know, people are still dropping like flies. It's like, wow, you know, it's like, what's the matter? How come they're not learning the law? It's so, so easy. The law just says this. Don't do this. Do this. Don't do this. Do this. And all you got to do is that. And why aren't people learning? People are dropping like flies. You've already learned the fear of the Lord and you're still fearing the Lord, but you've learned to trust the Lord. And people are dropping like flies. Crazy town. And then at the same time, trust transition into, transitions into love of the Lord. You see how the fear of the Lord is like, it's like little doorways. Through the law. I'm not advocating the law. It's like little doorways. You know, the fear of the Lord, trust the Lord, love of the Lord, adoration, expectation of the Lord. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wow, you're in that room. And it's like, okay, what's the next room? Boom, the seed, Jesus Christ. You see? It's beautiful. But in order to understand that, a person needs ears. I'm not advocating the law and saying that, but a person needs ears. Eyes to see and ears to understand. And that's what I loved so much about our Old Testament and New Testament studies because we understand these things. Remember like, you know, you wake up in the morning, remember in our, or if you've been walking with us for a while in our Old Testament studies, you wake up in the morning and you see, you know, you wake up, come out of your tent and do your stretches. You smell the morning air and it's all oh, your ah, nice little stretch. You look out a hundred yards and you see a, a wandering sheep. You look over to your left and you see, okay, my sheep are okay. These are all my sheep. You walk a little close and you're like, okay, that, oh, that's the sheep of my neighbor. You wake up early. It's the, 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 it's, it's, it, it looks like it's night, but it's not night because the sun is just barely coming up. You wake up in the morning, you stretch, you do your yawn. And you're like, okay, I'm going to attack the day now. But then you see that lonely sheep out there. Look to your left, all your sheep are present and accounted for. Now, in your heart, you've waken up, you've woken up before everybody else. You can take that sheep and no one will know except the Lord. You can take that sheep, put him among your sheep, and it's like, wow, look, I got a free sheep. Or you can take that sheep. Hey, this is my neighbor's sheep. You take that sheep and, you know, maybe clean him up a little bit, you know, feed him. When your neighbor's still sleeping, you don't want to disturb him. He had a rough night. He had a rough day. He worked hard the previous day. Finally, he wakes up, walks out of his tent. You say, hey, neighbor, I woke up early in the morning. I saw your sheep. Look, here he is. I cleaned him up. I fed him. 
Why? Because your heart has changed. You're looking out for your neighbor. You're looking out for another. You're looking out for somebody outside of yourself. I'm not advocating the law, but these are things that are learned in the law and through the law and the law as those little doorways points to Christ, leads to Jesus Christ until the seed. Remember? Listen to our study through Galatians. You'll understand. Because the heart can change. And there's only one who's in the business of changing hearts. It's the Lord. A new heart, a new spirit. You see? There's Satan who attempts to harden hearts. But I'm not called to speak to the dead. I speak to the living. It's very important to understand these concepts, these truths, these precepts, this doctrine. Because we're living in a time where all these, every single doctrine of men, biblical, unbiblical, carnal, other religions, every single doctrine of men is going to be put to the test. It's going to be put to the test as we enter the events of the last days. And there's only one way, one way that is safe. You see? And we see in verse 6 that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Some translations say any matter. Because the Lord is the avenger or punisher of all such. All of this sort is how it translates. Remember, this is a letter to the church. I mean, think if the pastors in Corinth said this, you know, Paul comes into into town, you see the birth of the church in, in, in the book of Acts and Paul goes on to the next town. And so there's the pastors, the ones who remain, the pastors in, 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 in Corinth, if they had taught in this manner and in this matter, we wouldn't have seen the egregious carnal flesh aspects of the flesh that we see in Corinth. But what happened? They were defunct. They wanted to be people's best friends. They wanted to be the best friend of everybody. Oh, let's, you know, God is love. So yeah, go ahead and do sex, alcohol, this extortion. Go ahead. God is love. You see? And Paul is saying to the church, the Lord is the avenger of all such. The Lord is the punisher of all sort, of all of this sort. Remember, he's writing to Christians. And he says, as we also forewarned you and testified, we attested earnestly on this matter. Nothing new is being said to the saints in Thessalonica. Why? Because they were told these things. So powerful when you juxtapose the, the 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 Corinthian church, you know, when, when they were milk drinkers, and you see the Thessalonian church when they were milk drinkers as well. Except the problem, you look at two churches, both milk drinkers. Both churches are milk drinkers. The problem is, you know, a month later, one is still milk drinkers. Three months later, five months later, eight months later, 
One church is still milk drinkers. A year later, still milk drinkers. Two years, three years later, still milk drinkers. But the other, a year later, they're eating little chicken tenders. Two years later, they're eating ribeye steaks. Three years later, they're eating like, you know, ribs and corn on the cob. They're spiritual. The word of God is milk, but the word of God is also meat. You see growth and maturity. That's why Paul says in verse one, we urge you in the Lord, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, super abound, excel, increase, move on to perfection more and more. You see? In verse seven, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness or unto holiness. And that is the call of God. Unto holiness. People say, oh, I'm of the elect. I'm of the elect. Okay. Praise the Lord. Make certain of it. Just like Brother Peter says, make your call and election sure. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 10. Make your call and election sure. God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. How does one make their call and election sure? Well, we see in verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. You see? That you should abstain from sexual immorality. The works of the flesh. Abstain. Remember, there's an element of choice when it comes to consecration. Just like the shower. You're not the soap. You're not the water. You're not the shampoo. But you have to step into the shower. You see? Same thing when it comes to our walk with the Lord. A person is filthy. What do I do? What do I do? Come on, let's get you cleaned up. Sound doctrine. Understanding the will of the Lord. Not the, you know, two wills and three wills. No, the will of the Lord. For people to be right with him. How are people right with him? Well, let's get you cleaned up. You see? Because of one theory, people formulate theory number two, theory number three, theory number four. But if the whole theories, if they all do not do not align with scripture, if, if one doesn't align with scripture and that one is used to formulate these other ones and this other one and this other one, you know, oh, if this is true, then therefore this must be true, then therefore this must be true. But if the original notion is wrong, then all those notions are wrong. You see? Oh, God is sovereign. God is sovereign and it is impossible for us to even fathom what the sovereign God is doing and what his will is. I'm not mocking the sovereignty of God in saying that. But it is also written that the sovereign Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his servants. You see? That's what the sovereign says. Oh, but God is sovereign. Okay, amen. God is sovereign. Act like it. Behave like it. You see? Very important for us to understand the truth of God's holy word. 
Not theories. Not theories of all kinds of winds of doctrine. I'm talking about the real Jesus, the real spirit, the real gospel. In verse 8, Therefore, he who rejects or disesteems or despises, therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Remember Samuel? The people were begging for a king. Oh, we want a king. We want a king. And Samuel was brokenhearted. And finally, the Lord says, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. You see? I mean, if you're a pastor and you faithfully teach God's word and the formula is right, you live to please and honor the Lord and the formula is right. You can rejoice when people hate you. You can rejoice just like Peter rejoiced. Another worker. Why? Because you're counted worthy to suffer shame. Now, I say that a little special exhortation to pastors. But if you're not a pastor, the same thing. When the world hates you. When the formula is right in you, in your heart. You can rejoice when they hate you. Why? Because you're counted worthy to suffer shame. For the name of the Lord. You see? Dogmas and ideas which do not align to the word are very dangerous. That's why Brother James says, let not many be teachers. And Paul says, he who rejects this in verse 8 does not reject man, but God. You see? Think of these very words were said to the saints in Corinth when Paul left town. And the Lord called him to another area of ministry. And in obedience to the Lord, he goes, but think if there was a pastor who would speak like this and say these things to the baby Christians in Corinth. Do you think we would have seen the flesh that we saw in 1 Corinthians 5? I don't think so. Why? Because the ball would have been in their court. A pastor could have told them these exact words and, okay, you know, a saint can hear that and be like, okay, you know, I'm not going to do the sex anymore. I'm not going to do the drugs anymore. I'm not going to do the alcohol anymore. And I don't like what this guy says, but he's got a point. And I'm going to study the scriptures like a Berean. And I'm going to study this. And I read these. I read this. I read this. And you know what? He doesn't just have a point. He's right. And a person realizes, whoa, I don't like what this guy says, but he has a point, and I'm a Brian. He's right. Now I realize my problem isn't with him. My problem is with God. You see? And I came upon that realization myself. 25 years ago, 20 plus years ago. 25, 24 years ago. Somewhere in there. I didn't like my pastor. I didn't like him. I didn't like what he said. I just didn't like him. 
And then finally, you know, he'd say, you know, open up your Bible here. And finally, I opened my Bible. And I had my finger exactly like I was following along with my finger. Everything he'd say, you know, I'd follow along. I, like I, I very rarely did I look up at him. You know, everybody else, they would like look up at him. You know, they, they wouldn't even have to read their Bible. You know, they would just be, you know, looking at him. And I would have my finger on the pages. And he would speak and then I'd follow, move my, my finger to the right, you know. Like in verse 7, for God did not call us to uncleanness. And then he would say that, and for God did not call us to uncleanness, he would stop and, you know, uh, speak and, you know, and teach and give examples and go to the Old Testament. And I would keep my finger here in verse 7. And then he'd say, okay, let's turn to Isaiah. And I'd keep my finger there. And then I'd turn other. The problem when he said, okay, turn here, turn here, turn here. Cause I only got two hands, you know. So I'd turn here, turn here, turn here, turn here. And so I was like, whoa, what, you know, I, I had like on my fingers, like in these pages. And I would follow along with, you know, as many fingers as I could. Follow on everything he said. And then I realized my problem isn't with this guy at all. My problem is with the Lord. And I say I love him. I say I love the Lord. And my desire is to love the Lord. But I'm in a predicament. I have a problem. And my problem is that I'm not right with the Lord. You see? Now I need to get right with the Lord. Remember, choice is an element of sanctification. You're not the soap. You're not the water. You're not the shampoo. But a person must realize, oh my goodness, I'm dirty. I need to be washed. You see? In verse 9, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Remember the greatest gift, 1 Corinthians 13, the greatest gift is love, and the fruit is evident. Paul saying, I, I, you have no need that I should write you. I love that so much. Because the fruit is evident, the fruit is palpable, and love being the greatest gift, it's like, wow, this is such... Remember, they're baby Christians. Baby, they're not... This isn't Philippi. This isn't 2 Corinthians. This isn't Ephesus. This is Thessalonica. Baby Christians, brand new believers. And Paul is pouring into them and, you know, the, the, the teachers, pastors, the bubble, remember, he's sending uh, Silas and Timothy. Saints, mature, warriors, workers, pouring into babies, little toddlers in Christ, pouring into them. And on top of that, you see the reciprocal love in the family among koinonia, among the ecclesia, what we studied last week. But then at the same time, you also see the Spirit moving. Why? Because of the love. Paul says, you have no need that I should write to you about brotherly love. Because you are taught by God to love one another. You see, I don't, I don't have to teach you on this because the fruit is there. The fruit is evident. In verse 10, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are, who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren... 
that you increase more and more. This is super abound to increase and move on to perfection, just like we see in verse one. In Corinth, babies, they stayed babies. But in Thessalonica, the babies moved on to perfection. You see? Beautiful. That's why we refer to Thessalonica, Thessalonians as like the great do-over. Because we see three years in Corinth and three years in Thessalonica. And it's like, wow, what a beautiful do-over. In verse 11. That you should also aspire to lead a quiet life or a peaceable life. To mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Now, in some areas, you know, being a Christian was more dangerous than other areas. And Paul pouring out in teaching, Paul pouring out in doctrine, and Paul pouring out as a pattern, it also includes wisdom. Because remember, Thessalonica was under the heavy hand of the religious leaders. Remember the home invasion? Jason's home invasion? And the uproar in town, the the city being turned upside down, the world being turned upside down in Thessalonica. And so included in sound doctrine, there is also wisdom. Verse 11, to aspire to lead a quiet life or a peaceable life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly or honestly and decently toward those who are outside. This is among non-believers. A poor witness is bad. But don't forget a poor witness brings shame to the name of our Lord Jesus. And sadly, we see a lot of this today. I mean, have you ever talked to a non-believer and you just ask them point blank, why are you, Why don't you believe? I mean, you know, there's deeper conversations oftentimes in my experience. When it's combative, you know, like a non-believer, they're combative. You boil it down, you know, what, what happened? Why, why don't you believe? And they start to explain certain things and it's like, it kills you a lot of times is because of a poor witness of a Christian, a poor witness of a church, a poor witness of a pastor. And sometimes people are like taken aback because it's like, wow, look, I don't blame you. If that were me, I would have socked the guy. I I had to repent one time. I was, in, you know, in church, you know, this is in very, very, very young believer. And I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm worshiping the Lord and a guy's whispering in my ears, you know, oh, you know, like I was praying and he sees my lips moving and he's like, oh, you, you almost speak in tongues. You almost have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, it was in a Pentecostal church and, you know, Pentecostals listen to our study through first Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14, because you'll understand the gift and the moving and the power of the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues is one of many gifts, one of many gifts, but you know, as a new believer, I didn't know these things. So I'm in a Pentecostal church, you know, and I have my eyes closed and you know, the guy is whispering in my ears. He's like, you almost, I, I see your lips moving. You almost have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And like, you, you're almost speaking in tongues. And all of a sudden my prayers, I was like, you know, praising the Lord and worshiping the Lord. And, you know, I started repenting of the Lord. Like, Lord, forgive me because I want to break this guy's neck. Lord, forgive me because I want to rip his throat out. You know, I, I was very carnal at the time, you know. And so it was like, it was like an, a, a baby believer, but 
also a little crazy, you know. And so I was like, you know, Lord, I, I love you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. And this guy started whispering in my ear. And I was like, Lord, forgive me because I want to rip this guy's throat out, you know. And so the Lord saved his life that day. <laughs> but it's, you know, there's to speak with non-believers. And sometimes it's like, you know, they start to explain. They start to open up. Oh, I don't like Christianity because... 10 years ago when I when I was a kid and I was in church and this happened the worst is when it's molestation when a person has been victimized by a pastor by an elder that that's 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 wickedness that's satan but to speak to these people adult sometimes you know a 40 year old male and he opens up and starts to speak and it's almost like he's a five-year-old boy again. Almost like he's like an eight-year-old boy again. And he starts to weep and it's like... Whew. They were victimized. Those aren't pastors. The, the person who prayed on a young lamb... Those aren't pastors. Those aren't elders. Those are wolves. Those are servants of Satan. To speak with females, teenagers, you know, an adult female who, you know, reflects back when she was a teenager in, in church and molested by a pastor, by a youth leader. It kills me. It breaks my heart. To love and care for the lambs, it's like, you know, okay, let's let's get you cleaned up. But then to turn around and face the pulpit. Where is this wicked person? Who is this wicked person? This servant of Satan? This is it's gonna, it's gonna. These things have happened before in the past. These things are happening in the present, but they're gonna happen exponentially in the last days. Remember, we are moving forward to a time where Jesus says, "No flesh will be saved, even the elect. Even the elect, no flesh will be saved, unless those days be shortened." You see. And we're, we are moving forward to that time, which means people are going to be dropping like flies inside the church. You see? Inside the church. There is conduct becoming of a Christian inside the church, but the same thing applies for outside the church. Like we see in verse 12, that we may walk properly towards those who are outside it's not like okay i'm with my christian friends so you know oh, i'm gonna speak christianese and i'll be a good guy i'll be a good gal and you know i'll do this and we won't talk about sex we won't talk about drugs we won't talk about this but when i go across town and hang out with my worldly friends oh we're gonna go to the strip club we're gonna go see the prostitutes we're gonna get baked we're gonna do all these things we're gonna do the ouija boards because i have my christian friends and then i have my non-christian friends that's lukewarm 
One foot in the world, one foot in the church. And the Lord Jesus says, I will vomit you out. You want to be lukewarm? The Lord says, I will vomit you out. See? And that's what we see on the rise. Remember, we're moving forward to the time where Jesus says no flesh will be saved, even the elect, unless those days be shortened. That's what we're moving forward to on the timeline of the last days. Seventy weeks are decreed. And we're moving forward to that time frame, which means a lot of people are going to fall away, apostasia, as prophesied. The falling away. And it's already happening. Lamps are going out. And it's not to say, you know, look, I have my Christian friends and I'm going to be a good guy. I'm going to be a good gal. And, you know, everything's, you know, I'm going to dress like this and behave like this. But then when I go with my worldly friends, we're going to go to the strip club and I'm going to dress like this. I'm going to behave like this. We're going to get baked and we're going to go out on ladies night. I'm going to dress like this and behave like this. But Oh, it's Sunday tomorrow, so I got to be good. I got to dress like I'm good. I got to behave like I'm good. No, You know what that is? That's hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. That's like bipolar. I mean, have you ever been with somebody who's bipolar? It's like, wow, they're happy. And then like you go get a cup of coffee, you come back and they're mad. It's like, what in the world? Like, What happened? What happened? And then come to find out, you know, they're bipolar. She's crazy. He's crazy. You see? That, that's the problem. Crazy. But the same thing happens inside the church. Saturday night, you want to go out bar hopping? But then Sunday morning, worship the Lord? It's like bipolar. Spiritual bipolar. No. doesn't work that way. Each person should know how to own his vessel. Each person should know how to own her vessel. In sanctification and honor. In consecration and honor. As we are told in verse 4. He says in verse 12 that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. And how this translates in the Greek, it's from employment. Lack nothing from employment. No freeloader. The freeloader mentality does not honor the Lord. It's not to have the freeloader mentality. Now, there's something else in play for the last day's generation. Because in the last days, it is prophesied that plagues will come. Revelation chapter 6, verse 6. A quart of wheat for denarius. Matthew 20 verse 2 says that a denarius is a day's wage. A quart of wheat for a denarius, a day's wage. If you're a baker, you know, like, wow, you you can't make a lot with a quart of wheat. You can't make a whole lot. One day's wage. You won't be able to make a lot. That's expensive bread. I'm not suggesting that the seals are broken. Yet. But I will say this. 
Do not read the book of Revelation in chronological order. The book of Revelation is not in chronological order. There are verses that indicate high inflation. Plagues. And high inflation. You know, if we were to have this conversation five years ago, if we were to have this discussion five years ago, it would be difficult to understand in some regions. And I teach from America. Other parts of the world, it would be more easy to understand because you have inflation rates off the charts in certain regions where Western cultures are somewhat sheltered from that. But today, it's easier to see, it's easier to understand. And this pain is being felt across the globe, some areas worse than others. Our present world is changing. The world is changing. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, you know, it's not uncommon to hear us reference and say, listen, you know, you have your 100% of your income and try really hard to live off of 50%, 40%. Try really hard to live off 70%. But we're living in a time a time of testing. Perilous times. The Bible refers to the last days as perilous. In this present world, as it changes, adjusting itself to an antichrist system, the remnant knows exactly what is happening, precisely what is happening. The remnant knows. And this time of testing that's befalling the world is going to test every single man, every single woman. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are in the faith and outside the faith. It's going to test the entire world. And many will align themselves to the Antichrist. Many will align themselves to the Antichrist. Even Christians. Oh, once saved, always saved. So what's this little mark? I'll go ahead and put this on my hand. I'll go ahead and put this on my forehead. My pastor says I can take this mark and I'll still be saved. So yeah, I'll go ahead and take it. You see? Doctrine, every single doctrine, every single concept, every single idea, every single moral belief will be placed in the fire. But there's only one that proves safe. Just like with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? Looks inside. I thought I put three people and I see this other fourth and it's like he's like the, the son of man. Jesus Christ with them in the fire. And that's what's going to happen in the last days. As fire ravages the world. You see? 
So we see in verse 12 that you may lack nothing. And yes, it is from employment and understand that the freeloader mentality does not bring honor to the Lord. That is not a sweet aroma unto the Lord. But I say this to the remnant. Don't feel these events of the last days will catch many. Many, even off guard, will catch many. The middle class, and I teach from America. Some countries, you know, we have listenership across the world. And some countries don't have a middle class. Sometimes it's just, you know, like third world countries. Sometimes it's just poor and rich. Poor and wealthy. And there's absolutely no middle class. In in America, you know, we have, you know, middle class. But the middle class in America, it's being destroyed. It's being destroyed. The middle class will not be able to survive what's coming. I mean, lower middle class won't be able to survive. Upper middle class, maybe for a little bit, will not be able to survive. I speak fiscally, you know, financially speaking. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. Multiple events. This is one of many. And there is going to be a person who emerges on the scene who's going to appear like he can fix everything. And people will love him. People will adore him. He will bring peace. He will solve all these world problems. But he comes not in the power of the Lord. He comes in the power of Satan. The son of perdition. You see? Be very careful. We are in the last days. This world that we presently live in, we're just passing by. This isn't our home. And sometimes when I we, we study these passages, like in verse 12, you know, to walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Yes, it's from employment. Yes, it's not to be a freeloader. And sometimes to have conversations with Christians, especially single moms who, you know, haven't got remarried. You know, their, their husband's not dead, you know, and, and so they're divorced. The husband left or, you know, maybe there was infidelity and, you know, their, their uh, sexual immorality. And so the wife left the husband. You know, she's not getting husband number two, three, four or five. No, she just stays single. Looking forward to the better marriage, which is to Jesus Christ. And she has kids. And it's like, wow, you know, I I, I feel guilty because I'm applying for government aid, government assistance. Well, listen, don't feel guilty. There are aid programs where, you know, it's designed for your exact situation. The problem comes if you take advantage of it. You know, you, you meet a guy at the bar, you get pregnant, and then you get more government assistance because your household is increasing. You get more government assistance. And that's... Not honorable to the Lord. You see? And sometimes I have these conversations with people, mostly like single moms. It's like, I feel guilty about that. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty. There's no no shame in that. Look at Like you're in a situation that, you know, your hand was forced because husband wanted to live carnally and, you know, do, do his deeds with 
XYZ, 1, 2, 3, in some cases, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and a husband wanted to do his deed, now he forced your hand. It's all a result of him. You see? And I speak to the single mothers. Or, you know, single ladies, but, you know, single mothers too. Not to say, go to the bar and find another husband and find, you know, husband number two, three, four. No, 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 no. You're done. Like marriage in the flesh, done. The better husband. Now, if he dies, that's another thing. You know, don't murder him, but, you know, because that's sin. But if he dies, that's another thing. Now you're free to marry, but marry in the Lord, a Christian. Not to marry, oh, you know, the cute guy at the bar. No, no, no. Marry a Christian. If husband dies, okay, now you're free to marry. Outside of that, it's called adulteress. We don't want you to be an adulteress. You see? A lot of, the church is in trouble. Now, if you're listening and you're like, oh my goodness, that's me. Oh my goodness. that is, it, like You're listening and you're like, what do I do? Repent. Repent, 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 repent. You see, let's get you cleaned up. Repent. So we continue on in in verse 13. And Brother Paul says this, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. To be ignorant here is to be ignorant. It's ignorance through lack of information or lack of intelligence. Whether it's ignorance through lack of information or intelligence, you know, that's, it's relevant, but ignorance is ignorance. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. It's saints, believers who have died. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. You see? No hope. Meaning they have no confidence, no faith that creates anticipation. That's what we have. That's what saints have. Hope. Remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And having hope, we have confidence. We have faith. We have this faith that creates this anticipation. What is that anticipation? Paradise. Paradise. But the non-believers don't have that. I want non-believers to have that. The Lord wants non-believers to have that. But he doesn't make robots. He doesn't... Pick somebody up and throw them in the shower. No. A person must realize, oh my goodness, I'm dirty. I got to get in the shower. You see? And Paul speaks concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. He says in verse 13, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope, as the non-believers. They sorrow. The Christian, no sorrow. When there's death, No sorrow. In verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, remember the resurrection? If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him, this is when Jesus returns, God will bring, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So verse 13, we're speaking of those who have died in Jesus. And verse 14, God will bring with him, with, you know, Jesus returns, those who sleep in Jesus. Remember, 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. Well, understand, there are more fruits. 
saints. Saints. You see? Like if you're a parent with kids, you take your first child. That child is your first fruits. But then if you have like two or three children or four or five children, you know, then you have like multiple fruit. But they're still the first. The first fruit. Your firstborn. And the Bible says that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. It's like, okay, well, we see the Bible says Jesus is the first fruit, so where are the others? Well, that's pending. That hasn't happened yet. There's more to come. And that's saints. There's more fruits to the resurrection. In verse 15, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain. Now, this translates as that we who are alive and survive. Perilepo in the Greek. Perilepo in the Greek, which is to survive. Remember, the conditions of the last days are perilous. Times of sorrows, plural. It's not times of sorrow. Like you're going you're gonna to feel bad on, you know, uh, 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 like a month. You're going to feel bad for a couple days. No, it's times of sorrows. It's multiple sorrows. Sorrow after sorrow after sorrow. And that's because remember, we're moving forward to a time where Jesus says, no flesh will be saved, even the elect, unless, unless, unless those days be shortened. And praise be to the Lord, because he does shorten those days. Praise be to the Lord. But that's what we're moving forward to. People dropping like flies, even the elect. It's Christians falling away. Christians falling away. And don't forget, he who now restrains will be lifted up, which is the Holy Spirit, not Michael. I, you know, if you're a believer and you, you, you think it's Michael, I'm not going to argue with you about it. But when you look at Michael, you overlay, um, prophetical passages. It's like, okay, this isn't Michael. But if you believe it's Michael, I'm not going to argue with it, argue about it. But the biggest argument that the pro Michael people say, you know, like, well, the Holy Spirit is always with us. So how can it be the Holy Spirit if the Holy Spirit is lifted? Well, who has oil for their lamps? Who is storing oil for their lamps today? You see? Remember, we're moving forward to a time when no flesh will be saved, even the elect, unless those days be shortened. So if Jesus says no flesh will be saved, it's like, well, wait a second. How... How can that be if, if they have the Holy Spirit? Well, the question is, do they have the Holy Spirit? Or they're believers? Are they short-term believers? Are they, you know, the, the cares of the world? Have they been ensnared by the cares of the world? Like Demas? Bright Lights, big city of Thessalonica? You see? And don't forget... The ten virgins. Five are foolish. Five are wise. The foolish ones, look, at, they're all virgins. They're all virgins. It's like, wow, praise be to the Lord. They're virgins. They're awaiting the, 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 the marriage. They're all virgins. Praise be to the Lord. 
They all have lamps. Praise be to the Lord. They all have oil. They all have oil. They all have oil. Praise be to the Lord. The lamps are lit. Praise be to the Lord. Except something happens in the course of time. Five of them start to run out of oil. They run out of oil, run out of oil, run out of oil. Finally, the light goes out. Boom. No light. But the five wise, they have their oil. They've stored their oil. That's what you hear us say from time to time. Store your oil. That is for you. It is not for others. That is specifically for you and only for you. Now, you can light up and, you know, light up, you know, and others will have light. But when I speak of your oil, it's specifically for you. You see? It's not Michael who restrains. It's the Holy Spirit who goes into the world to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. You look at the world today, and in my heart of hearts, it begs the question, Lord, is your spirit already lifting? Is your spirit lifting today? Because a guy can walk into a store and say, oh, look, I, I, need, I, I need some groceries. Just pick up whatever he needs and walks right out. No, like, where's the conviction? You see, like, the brutality we see on the streets. A lady at a train stop, a guy pushes her, she gets run, hit by the train, she's dead. Where's the, where's the conviction of the spirit? It's not to say that the, that the Holy Spirit is incapable of convicting because the Holy Spirit absolutely convicts. But we see the hardness of hearts today, but at the same time, is the Spirit being lifted? These are things that I ponder. These are things that I wonder, Lord, is, has your Spirit begun to lift? It's coming as, as surely as the Lord lives. That day is coming. And me personally, I just wonder, is it already happening? As we see hearts wax cold. As we see the heart of men fail. As we see uh, ethnos against ethnos. As we see uh, uh, the, the, the rise of lawlessness. Lord, is your spirit lifting now? That's why we say store your oil. That's... That's the, the Christian's prepper, you know, oh, I'm a prepper, I got to store this, I got to get all these you know, dry goods and store this over here, store this over here, store this over here. And, you know, you go outside your car, a bear's there, eats you. It's like, well, what was the purpose of storing? You see? Oh, I got to store this, I store this, store this, and I'm going to go to the store, boom, you get shot in the head. But when you store your oil, the bear could eat you. You might get shot. And you might die, but because you stored your oil, you're a wise virgin. You see? And so we see this in verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that those who are alive and remain, Perilepo is to survive. 
It's to remain, but it's as survivor. Remember, last week's study, we make the distinction, distinction. We make the distinction between phase one and phase two. You see, phase one, it's been around for many, many years, many centuries. But the Lord gave the indicators of phase two, which is evacuation. The Lord gave indicators, what to look for when it's evacuation. If you're listening for the first time, listen to our study from last week, First Thessalonians chapter 3. You'll understand more about the phases. But the conditions of the last days are perilous, very perilous. And Paul says by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain, we who are alive and remain as survivors, we who are alive and survive until the coming of the Lord, this is the return of Jesus, will by no means precede those who are asleep. Will by no means precede those who are asleep. So verse 13, concerning saints who have died. Verse 14, these saints will return with Jesus. Verse 15, surviving saints will not precede them. Now, for my beautiful brothers and sisters in Christ who adhere to a pre-tribulation rapture theory, it is unbiblical. It is wrong in accordance with the word of God. Because the pre-trib rapture doctrine says God comes for his church before the 70th week and he comes with his church at the end. He comes before the 70th week and he comes, he comes for the church and then he comes seven years later uh, with his church at the end. But verse 15 says, which is by the word of the Lord, that survivors will by no means precede the dead. Will by no means precede the dead. But the pre-trib rapture theory says they do precede. You see, it doesn't align with Scripture. Now, the pre-tribbers also say, well, that, you know, that those are, those are tribulation saints. Oh, that's the time of Jacob's trouble. Those are tribulation saints. Well, in accordance to the theory, yes. But if a person holds on to a theory, then other theories are created to support and buttress the theory. But if the whole thing is wrong, we got to throw it out. Which is why you hear us say, come out of her, my people. You see? Pre-tribulation rapture is unbiblical. It does not align with scripture. It has been placed in the balance of holy scripture and found wanting. Now, if you're pre-trib rapture, I love you. I don't hate you. I've had these conversations with people, pastors, elders, and they call me satanic. They call me, you know, I'm a you know son of Satan. They call me, you know, I'm, I'm above the devil. Because I don't believe what is taught in seminary, what I call cemetery. 
Listen to our studies. First one is called uh, Jacob's Trouble, biblically explained. And the next one is called When is the Rapture? Because we look at other passages, other verses. But this is a big deal. I mean, it's always been a big deal. But for the last day's generation, even more so. For the last day's generation, even more so. Because a lot of Christians, oh, we're going to be raptured out of here. And in having these conversations, well, what about the mark of the beast? Well, if we're still here and the mark of the beast comes, then I'm going to go ahead and take the, that, that mark, which you call the mark of the beast. I'm going to go ahead and take it because we're still here. And the Bible says we won't be here. So I can do whatever. I can take this. I can put this on my hand. I can put this on my forehead because the Bible says that we're not supposed to be here. No, 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 no. The theory says you won't be here, but does the theory align with the word of God? And when it comes to the pre-tribulation rapture theory, it does not align to the Bible. It is a false doctrine. It is a false teaching. Where are the pastors? Where are the pastors? You see? If you're a Christian, you're listening, and it's like, wow, my pastor taught me this. My pastor taught me pre-trib. Show him these messages. Let him listen. The church is in major, major trouble today. And if the church, in order for the church to be in major, major trouble, the pastors are in super-duper trouble. Because saints not knowing, because of on account of what a pastor taught them, you think the Lord's not going to? The Bible says stricter judgment to pastors, stricter judgment to teachers. Oh, I'm a loser. I can't hold the job, so I think I'm going to be a pastor. doesn't work that way. The Lord must build the house. You see? Verse 15 says, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord that those who are alive and remain or those who, or, who are alive and survive <clears throat> until the coming of the Lord will by no means, by no means, by no means precede those who are asleep. Will by no means precede those who have died. And the pre-trib rapture theory says they will precede. Brother Paul, inspired of the Spirit, and by the word of the Lord, says, will by no means precede those who have died. In verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Remember in Acts chapter 1 verse 9, where Jesus ascended on a cloud, and the angels said that he would return in the same manner? Matthew 24 verse 30 Jesus is coming on the clouds. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7, he is coming with the clouds. He ascended in Acts 1 in verse 16 here in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16. He's descending from heaven with a shout, which is as a command, with the voice of an archangel or chief angel. I meant for my veteran friends, maybe some active duty too. Have you ever been in a battalion formation? You have the battalion commander, 
You have captains, lieutenants, gunnery sergeants, all kinds of different, you know, ranks. And very, very few in a battalion formation, very few are giving commands and they shout loud. But every single soul is in step obeying commands. And that's what I see here in verse 16. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout that's as a command, with the voice of an archangel or a chief angel and the trumpet of God. And it's so beautiful. We see this trumpet of God. Turn with me really quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, Brother Paul says this. He says in verse 51, inspired of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die. We shall not all sleep or die. We shall not all die. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Now notice here, we have a series of trumpets in Revelation. And Brother Paul here, inspired of, the, inspired of the Spirit, says, In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, just as we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The trumpet will sound, and the dead, the dead, which remember, they're first. The living will by no means precede. The dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. You see? It's our glorified bodies. We put on incorruption. We put on immortality. Let's go back to First Thessalonians chapter 4. And in First Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Will rise first. The dead will rise first. Survivors will by no means precede the dead. Remember, we who are alive and remain is, in the Greek, we who are alive and survive. And verse 16 says, the dead in Christ will rise first. Which, verse 15 says that the living will by no means precede those who have died. Everything aligns perfectly. I mean, it's just, you know, verse 15 and 16 is, you know, not, you figure it's so close, it, it, it better align. But it aligns with Corinthians, it aligns with Revelation, it aligns with Matthew, it aligns with the Old Testament prophecies. It aligns perfectly. What doesn't align? is the pre-tribulation pre rapture theory that says that the living will precede the dead. No, it's unbiblical. It is unbiblical. It has been placed in the balance of holy writ and found wanting. The dead will rise. The dead in Christ will rise first. In verse 17, then... So the dead in Christ will rise first. Remember, verse 14, God will bring with him, God will bring with Jesus who's returning, those who sleep in Jesus. So you have Jesus and the dead, they're together. 
And, you know, verse 16, the dead in Christ will rise first. So they're, they're together. In verse 17, then we who are alive and remain or remain as survivors, we who are alive and survive, remember, very perilous times. Satan indwelling this person, which is the Antichrist, is going to kill Jews. The Jews will flee and you follow the prophecies and you look at the valleys and the, the waterways and you look, you follow, it leads to Jordan. And these are in these valleys, the earth will open up and swallow the armies of the Antichrist. And then the Antichrist who's killing Jews is going to say, okay, let's kill the Christians now. And it will be given, power will be given to overcome the saints. It will be given to overcome the saints. The church will take casualties. Christians will take casualties. You see? Then we who are alive and survive shall be caught up. This is harpazo in the Greek. Harpazo. It's to caught up. Remember, last week, if you listen to our study from last week, this is phase two. Phase two, straight up evacuation. Phase one, war, battle. And I speak supernaturally. Remember, we're in war, we're in battle, but we have our fishing poles, we have our nets. Why? Because God is not willing that any should perish. We're fishers of men, fishers of women, young, old, I don't care. We're fishers of souls. Then we who are alive and remain, we who are alive and survive shall be caught up together with them. Verse 14, verse 14, remember, it's Jesus and the dead in Christ. In verse 16, the dead in Christ will rise first. In verse 15, the, 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 the living, those who survive will by no means precede those who are asleep. So in the evacuation, phase two, it's, you know, the dead will be caught up. You know, the, the dead will, will rise first and will be with Jesus. And then in verse 17, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. So they're in the clouds and then we join them. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So beautiful. Phase one, phase two, so beautiful. You say, well, how can phase one be beautiful? It is beautiful, but you need to be equipped. You need to learn how to fight. You need to know how to fight. You need to roll around on the mat, learn how to fight. Affix bayonets, learn how to fight. Hand-to-hand combat. Spiritually speaking, metaphysically speaking. How to go fishing. Because Satan is a fisherman too. And Satan has fish and he wants those fish. Why? Because he wants to drag them to hell with him. You see? Why did God make hell? Well, that's separation. That's, you know, Lucifer. He made his choice. He made his choice. And, you know, when he came out of heaven, you know, he was, you know, to Sheol, you know, Isaiah 14. Well, he took a third of the angels with him. The demonic forces. 
They all made their choice. Satan, who wanted to be exalted above God. Just the Antichrist, indwelt by Satan, wants to be above Jesus, but he is the Antichrist. You see? The real King of Kings is Jesus, and the government will be placed on his shoulders. Not yet. That is a pending matter. The return of Jesus is a pending matter. The return of the King, the return of the Messiah is a pending matter. But until then, Satan will have his fake King of the world. Lord of Lords, lowercase l of lowercase l. It's the Antichrist. The world will worship him. The world will adore him. The world will take his mark. Christians will even take his mark because they don't follow sound doctrine. You see? Pastors even say, go ahead and take that mark. You'll still be saved. But the Bible says, don't ever take that mark because there's eternal damnation. Phase one and phase two are beautiful. Phase one is perilous, dangerous. But in order to be in phase one, in order to be in phase one, we have to be equipped, trained, fishing for souls, fishing for men and women, young, old, it doesn't matter. We can't remember, Satan is a fisherman and he wants his fish. He wants to keep his fish. The demons, they want to keep those fish. Why? To drag them to hell. God didn't create hell for people. Hell is not for people. It's Satan that's dragging people with them. The demons dragging people with them. You see? So we go on our rescue mission. We grab one of those fish. Satan's going to be mad and he's going to attack. But we have our sword. We have our shield. That's the battlefield. We have our fishing pole. We catch a fish, okay? Join us. The Lord cleans us up. But you take a fish that Satan has, he's going to be mad. But the remnant knows how to fight spiritually, supernaturally. You see? And Satan's a fisherman too. We have to understand these things because these days are evil. These days are wicked. We could look at the, the things which impact the flesh. You know, the things which impact the flesh. But what about the things which impact the spirit? We must be wise in these dark times. Phase one, beautiful, but we have to be equipped. Phase two, beautiful, but we have to have the knowledge we have to have the understanding of the blueprints of the battlefield, or the blueprints of the, the battle plan, so to speak. There is a time of evacuation, but it is not yet. In verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. Now, 
sometimes verse 18 gets mocked by those in the pre-tribulation camp. They say, wow, you know, we're, we're, you know, if, if all this tribulation is going to come to us, then how can we be comforted by these words? How can we be, be comforted in that? Perilous times have, have always been around. Perilous times have always, Satan, he's always attempting to, Attack to kill, to, and he does attack, attack and kill. But in the last days, it's going to be amped up because Satan knows his time is short. And those in the pre-tribulation camp, they sometimes, not with all, but in some cases, verse eighteen gets mocked. Well, how you know if the how can it not be pre-tribulation? You're telling me we're supposed to be here and we're supposed to comfort one another with these words. How is that comfort to know that we're going to be in that? Well. When you're dead in Christ. And I'm talking about crucified with Christ. Where it is no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. As Paul says, his crucifixion with Christ. When he is crucified with Christ, he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's what you and me aim for as we carry our crosses and reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead. And it's no longer you nor I who live, but Christ lives in us. In one sense, it's understandable for, you know, for, you know, not the mocking part, but it's understandable for a pre-trib rapture person to say, how can this be comfortable? We're supposed to comfort one another with these words. But it's also sad because the very premise of the pre-tribulation rapture is unbiblical. The mindset is a luxury that is fading. The church age is coming to its close. Doctrine is being exposed as false or true. To comfort one another with these words, I say, wait. Wait. Because we can surely be comforted at the return of the Lord and knowing that the Lord is returning and he's returning soon. But when the perilous times get to the point when Christians are in the crosshairs, Christians will be killed. Verse 18 will be seen in an entirely new light. Because the blueprints at that time will be even more clear to those with ears. Comfort one another with these words. I mean, I have Vietnam veteran friends. Infantry. And to hear a... To hear a a, 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 a mission. We're going to go into a mission where there's high casualty rates. We have a mission and, you know, 70% casualty rate. And yet, in discipline, they still go. A hundred people go, 30 people return. A hundred people go in obedience. They're in the thick of battle. And 
they know every single one of them the even they're in the thick of battle phase one of battle but there's evacuation instructions in the thick of battle not like you're not on ship anymore you're not at base camp anymore you are there on the on the front lines engaging with the enemy in a severe fight and to comfort one another knowing that evacuation is soon it's not that verse 18 can be nor should be mocked today even though it is even though it is from pastors even but these are people who do not understand But when phase one is so palpable, where we're taking, we're already taking casualties. I mean, you look at certain parts of the world, it's certain part of the world, it's deadly to be a Christian. Deadly to be a Christian. You become a Christian, you're dead within a week. Pastor, you know, underground church. Message for pastors, you know, pastors, have plans in place for face to face only. Face to face only. I mean, they have uh, like uh, Bible apps that they're giving locations, you know, through through their through cell phones. They're giving locations away to the authorities. Oh, you know, they, they, this Bible was opened up here. The authorities come and geolocation. It's like, boom, we found this church. Boom, we found these Christians. Pastors have plans in place for analog and like paper Bibles, you know, books, paper, that t- tangible that you can touch. You have pages. Face-to-face analog. No, you know, leave your phones at home. Have plans in place. Because things are getting more dark, more wicked. And I teach from America. These things are happening in other parts of the world, but it's coming across the globe. In phase one. Very dangerous. But we are the ones who have to be dangerous in return. Supernaturally, metaphysically, a work of the Spirit, the work of the Lord. But we have to be dangerous. Like Paul. Paul was dangerous. Little Timmy, dangerous. Chloe, dangerous. You see? Yes, the world was dangerous. But they were more dangerous in the Lord. You see? beautiful they were fighters warriors and that's how the saints must be in the last days dangerous and at the same time it's like in the thick of battle when we start taking casualties at an exponential rate to know the blueprints of evacuation verse 18 will come to light in a brand new way i mean it's always been there when you're in the thick of the fight, not on the ship, not at base camp, you are on the front lines. And when casualties, you know, we're taking casualties and we can remember these words and know that the Lord is coming and he will return on the clouds and the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead will rise, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and survive shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. 
Verse 18 gets mocked today. Oh, you, you, you don't believe in pre-tribulation. How can we comfort one another with tribulation? How can we comfort one another with this? Wait, you're too early. You're, you're misapplying the verse. You're misapplying the scriptures. When we're in the thick of battle and we're taking casualties, you know the blueprints for evacuation? That's the greatest comfort there is to know the Lord is coming. Not before the 70th week. Listen to our study. Two studies. Uh, um, the time that uh, Jacob's trouble biblically explained. And the next one, when is the rapture? Because we look at Old Testament prophecies as well. You see? The church age is closing. It's coming to its close. You see? And with a profound, just as we, the exhortation from last week. A profound, a deep, 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 profound love of truth with a noble heart. And I say unto you, behold the remnant. Behold the remnant refined in the fire, made beautiful in preparation for her wedding. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.